Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Amen. Would you please take your Bibles and open them to the book of Hebrews? We're in chapter 1. We're only a few weeks into this study, and God is using it in incredible ways. I believe He's going to use it in even more incredible ways as we continue on. Remember, Hebrews is written to a group of Jewish Christians. They have experienced the joy of receiving and accepting their Messiah. They've, con- they've dedicated their life to living for Jesus Christ. And for many of them, they have lost everything and now are under deep persecution for their decision to embrace the very fulfillment of all the promises they were looking for. And they're faced with a temptation. They're faced with a temptation to leave the simplicity of the gospel and go back to Judaism. They're at a crossroads. So it would help you as you open up the book of Hebrews to Put yourself in their sandals for a moment and think of the crossroads that they're at. Do they continue on in this difficult life of faith in Jesus, simply obeying him and enjoying him? Or do they go back? Do they continue in the substance of all that they hoped for? Or do they exchange the substance for the shadows and go back to their religious experience? And Paul, he takes pen in hand and writes to them, I believe, a letter declaring that Jesus is superior in so many ways. You could say in every way to religion, rituals, and the thousands of years of tradition that they have faced. And you know, all of us face these similar temptations. Now, I don't know that many, any, anyone listening to me, if there are, it's very few that are tempted to go to Judaism. Although that temptation's out there today is some would teach a, a, a false gospel of keeping the law in order to be right with God. The law has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ, and so by faith in Jesus Christ, you are able to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. So because the temptation of Judaism isn't before us, we might just dismiss the book of Hebrews as something irrelevant to our century, but not so. Because the temptation to leave the simplicity of the gospel comes to us in many different ways. Where the fact that by faith in Jesus Christ and because of his grace, you can have your sins forgiven, there'll be those that say, no, it's too easy. That's too simple. You have to do something to add. You've got to work harder. You've got to do something in order to add to what God has done, but it's not true. And what once was simple, intimate, life-transforming relationship can so quickly revert back to rigid, ritualistic, empty routine that has all the outward trappings of spirituality, but there's emptiness inside. If you think it wouldn't happen to you, the church, well, just think back to the book of Revelation when Jesus wrote to the church in Ephesus, he, he talked to them about what they had left. 
And he didn't say they left the complicated theology. He didn't say they left all the rituals and, and, and all of the, the crazy trappings of religion. What did he say? He said, you had left, I have this against you. This is Revelation chapter two. I have this against you. You have left your first love. And that's really what leaving the simplicity of the gospel is, leaving a relationship of love and exchanging it for who knows what. And so our time in Hebrews, I believe, will build our faith and grow us into greater simplicity as we break down the insights that Paul shares with the Hebrews. So pick up with me in verse 1 of chapter 1. God, who at various times and different ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, verse 3, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Now, the last time we were together, we learned how God spoke in times past through the prophets, where he spoke and revealed himself to those that had ears to hear. Now, why would God speak? Why is it that God would choose to speak through the prophets? Well, understand, God loves us. He loves his creation. And he knows that we're unable to know God unless he reveals himself to us. That's the only way to know God. You, you don't learn about God by gaining more information. The only way to learn about God is by having revelation as he reveals himself. And all throughout the scriptures, from Genesis, the beginning, all the way to the end of Revelation, is one great unfolding of the revelation of who God is, what his character is, his nature, and his desire to have relationship with his creation. Why does God speak? Because he loves us. There is that inner desire in every man, every woman, every child to know what their true identity is. A lot of people spin their wheels throughout their life trying to find out who they are, trying to determine what's their purpose. Questions like, who am I? How did I get here? What's my purpose in life? Or even more practical, why do I work here? Why am I living here? What, what is my purpose? The problem with that question, the question itself is not a bad one to ask. It's how you choose to answer it that can cause trouble. And the problem with that particular question is that so many grasp and grope for an answer and they want to know God, but they think they live in a dark world like without any revelation, without, without any evidence for who God is. That's the very root of every false religion, every fanciful philosophy, and all the bankrupt theories. You know, like theories of where you came from. And the, the most popular theory, humanistic evolution, you know, in all its various forms is basically you kind of started out as mud and then the mud kind of grew some eyes. You kind of come through and you become a monkey somewhere in there and then you become a human. What kind of hope is that? What kind of hope is it? Well, what am I? Well, I don't know. Am I mud? Am I a monkey? Where did I come from? Where am I going? And, and Paul would put it this way. 
And all of these bankrupt theories all fit in the same category. Paul would put it this way. He would speak of having a knowledge of God and, and knowing that you are suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. In order to suppress the truth, you have to have, the, you have, to have a knowledge of the truth. And through a life lived in rebellion against God, people are separated from the truth. And they still don't know who they are and haven't come to that place of understanding. So what does God do? He reveals himself very graciously. He reveals himself in a variety of ways. He's revealed himself through creation. He's revealed himself through man's conscience. He's revealed himself through the system of law and justice, which is basically right and wrong. He has revealed himself through angels, through teachers, through prophets, through messengers. In Genesis alone, if you just open up the book of Genesis, you will find a God who loves to communicate with his people. You, you will be introduced to, right in the very beginning, in the beginning, God, and then, then there unfolds this revelation of God to man. For example, we see God speaking to Adam, and we, speak, we see God speaking to Adam and Eve. God speaks to Cain. God speaks to Noah. God speaks to Noah and his sons. He speaks to Abraham, Rebekah, Jacob, Laban, Joseph, even Abimelech, the unsaved, unbelieving king, he speaks to. Why? Because he loves us. But more specific to the coming of Messiah, which is the hope of all mankind, Jesus Christ, consider God speaking to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7. God told David that the Savior would be born of his own house, his own lineage. Or how about in Micah chapter 5, verse 2? God spoke to Micah and told him that the Savior would be born in Bethlehem. How, how about Isaiah? Isaiah chapter 7, God spoke to Isaiah and told him that the Savior would be born of a virgin. And yet none of these were the complete message because the complete message came in Jesus Christ. He is the final word and is far superior than any other word that has come before him or will come after him. In Jesus Christ, there is nothing left unsaid so that the Bible says that we have received the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. So today I want to show you in the first few verses eight reasons. It would be a great day to take notes. Eight reasons why Jesus is superior. And keep in your mind that the letter is written to people that are beginning to doubt that Jesus is superior. They're beginning to doubt that it's even worth it to follow him. They're beginning to doubt that leaving the, the ritualistic form of Judaism, you know, God never intended Judaism to become so ritualistic. God gave his word to mankind and, and gave the direction throughout Leviticus and Genesis, throughout the first books, five books of the Bible, he gave his word in order to create the boundaries and parameters for relationship. And man, like we often do, can take something so good and, and make it something that God never intended. And here they are wrestling, where do I go? What do I do? Is it even worth it to follow Jesus? And as the book opens up, there are eight things at least. There is a ninth in verse four in terms of his relationship to angels, but we'll save that for our study next time because we're gonna spend a couple weeks looking at angels 
and a theology of angels, which there's a word for that. It's called angelology. And I want to introduce you to the Bible's teachings on what the Bible has to say about angels. Very powerful creations and creatures of God. But we'll get to that in another study. For now, number one, eight things that make Jesus far more superior than any messenger that ever came before him. Number one, Jesus is the supreme spokesman. That's what it says in verse two. He has in these last days spoken to us by his son. You see, God is so concerned with our lives. He's so concerned with you and me understanding him and understanding his plan of salvation that he chose to enter into our world, condescending from that place of glory and the Son, Jesus Christ, coming into this world and taking on a human body, both 100% man and 100% God. God proved his love to us by sending his Son to meet us right where we're at, to give us the greatest revelation to ever be seen or heard, the life of Jesus Christ. And through him, we have some of the greatest words of life and deliverance. Jesus has taught us exactly how to conquer trials and temptations and corruption and how to conquer death through his resurrection, how to overcome the condemnation that we bring upon ourselves. I mean, in every area of life, Jesus is the final answer. He, he gives with finality the types of truths that we need to live a life that pleases him. Before Jesus Christ, no one could, could fully proclaim the totality of the word of God. And so what does God do? He brings everything to a climax and he sends us the word. Remember in John chapter one, verse one? In John chapter one, it says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God, speaking of Jesus Christ. He's the supreme spokesman. Number two, Jesus is the appointed heir of all things. That's what it says. Whom he is appointed heir of all things. Jesus is the lawful owner of everything. He alone inherited all that God is and has. And the Father has willed everything to the Son. And so by faith, we now have everything that Jesus has, which is mind-blowing to me. Jot it down in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. The Bible declares in him, speaking of Jesus, also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. Well, the author to the Hebrews is saying the same thing. Those of us that have trusted in Christ can trust that all that is his is ours by faith. That when we look to him, when we follow him, all that is his is ours. Why is he superior? Because he's the appointed heir. No one else is the appointed heir. We only share in that inheritance by relationship and by faith. It's almost like Paul saying, do you really want to leave this relationship? Are you going to turn your back on Jesus Christ? In him, you have everything. Number three, Jesus is the creator of the universe. Why is he superior? Because he's the creator. Notice at the end of verse 2, through whom he also made the worlds. Jesus is the creator of the universe. And this is so different, isn't it, from the false teaching and teachers that come to your door on Saturday morning and want to introduce you to a Jesus that's created. 
And they'll say that in both of the popular cults that come to your door, they will both say in a different way that Jesus is created just like you and me. Bringing Jesus down to the place of not creator as the Bible declares, but just as another created, exalted being. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches unequivocally that Jesus is the creator. In John chapter 1, once again, verse 3, the Bible declares, All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. Doesn't that bear repeating? What was made that wasn't made by Jesus? What's the answer to that? Nothing. It says here that without him nothing was made that was made. Jesus is the creator. The Trinity, the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were all involved in creation, which makes sense because the Bible says in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God. Creation occurred from the Father, by the Son, and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is superior to the prophets. Why? Because he created them. And the creator is always greater than the creation. There's that joke that's been around with parents when your kids get in trouble. And there's that joke, I forget who said it, but they said something like, I brought you into this world and I can take you out. I don't want to mention it. So, be careful because you can't take them out. Only God can. Life is in the Father. Life is in the Father. Now, number four. Number four. Jesus is the very glory of God. Jesus is the very glory of God. Notice what he says in verse three. Who being the brightness of his glory. The brightness. Jesus is the very glory of God. If you're taking notes, circle the word being right there in verse three and right next to it, absolute timeless existence. That's what that word means in the Greek. The absolute timeless existence. He has always possessed the glory of God. We only get to experience now in him. He's always existed. The brightness, the splendor, the brilliance, everything that is worth seeing and experiencing is found in him. He's the creator. That means nothing. There's nothing that exists that wasn't created. I was thinking, not, no planet, no star, no creature, no dimension, no vegetation, no mineral, no element. Nothing exists that wasn't created by Jesus. And he's the very brightness and splendor and glory and brilliance. He is able to lighten the darkest of days if you'll simply look to him. He's the very glory of God. Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. The Bible declares, For in him, speaking of Jesus, dwells all of the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. So by way of review, number one, Jesus is the supreme spokesman. Number two, he's the appointed heir of all things. Number three, he's the creator of the universe. Number four, he's the very glory of God. Number five, Jesus is the exact representation of God. Once again, you're opening up a letter that was written to people that are ready to walk away from the Lord. Maybe that's you today. Because we're not, we're not really tempted by Judaism today, although some might be. 
but there is always something or someone looking to prey on the weakness of your flesh when you're going through a trial or a difficulty, you're going through life, and you're tempted to walk away from the simplicity of the gospel. And the author says, no, 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 no. If you can fix your eyes on Jesus, you will see the great value of his superiority in every realm. And he chooses just eight of them for us to say, no, 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 get your eyes back. He is the exact representation of God. The express image, it says in the New King James, of his person. The idea of that word express image is given to us from the ancient times of of stamping a coin. And the idea behind that word is to stamp an exact replica multiple times. And far being Jesus being a replica, he is the exact representation of God. He is the image. Notice that word image is the Greek word hypostasis, which is a large theological term that's used about the hypostatic union between God being 100% man and 100% God. But for the sake of our study today, the reality of what the author is telling us is that, hey, when you look at Jesus, you see God. Isn't that what he told Philip? Remember as he was walking and teaching the disciples in John chapter 14, verse 9, Jesus looks at Philip and he says this, have I been with you so long and yet you've not known me, Philip? Have we been together so long and you don't know me yet? And then Jesus says, he who has seen me has seen the Father. An exact representation of the Father. Number six, Jesus is the sustainer of the universe. The sustainer of the universe, notice in verse three again, he upholds all things by the word of his power. This is an important truth because no man, no government, no scientist, no theory, no philosophy holds the universe together. Only Jesus does. God is in control and through his son is controlling the world and moving it forward to a climactic moment of revival and renewal. In Colossians chapter 1 verse 17 it says, and he is before all things and in him all things consist. Again, in Acts chapter 17, verse 28, for in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own poets have said, for we also are his offspring. Jesus is superior because he's the only one that keeps things together. Let me ask you a question. Who's gonna hold things together when your life's falling apart? Are you gonna turn to some philosophy? Is it some self-help book that you picked up? You know, the one that teaches you, get up in the morning, go into the bathroom, look into the mirror and say, today is going to be a good day. Everything's going to be fine. I'm going to speak truth into existence and on and on. That ain't going to help you. You're going to leave that bathroom and face life whether you like it or not. It would be much better for you to get up in the morning, look in that mirror and say, today is the day that the Lord has made. And I want to rejoice and be glad in it. And everything that comes into my life today, God, has come through your hands. You've allowed it, good or bad. It's been father-filtered. So I'm going to leave this bathroom. I'm going to walk away from this mirror. And I'm going to live my life today trusting you that even if I'm faithless, you remain faithful and you will be with me and not leave me and forsake me. That's a much better thing to do. 
because you're speaking forth the truth of God's word. Let's bring it down one more notch. When your marriage is on the rocks, who's going to keep you together? When your kids make decisions and go sideways and they're not walking with the Lord right now, who's going to keep it together? When all craziness happens at work and this time they come to your office, the boss comes to your office and says, I don't need your services anymore and it's time to move on. Who's going to keep it together? Is it going to be some philosophy? No. Some book you read on handling difficulties? No. Is it going to be you just playing mind games with the whole situation? It's not. Only Jesus Christ can pull together and keep together a life that's falling apart. Which reminds me that there are some listening right now who have never embraced Jesus Christ as your Savior. You have continued to live life the way that you want. God has given you the freedom to do just that. To live life however you want to live life. To be involved in what you want, whatever you want to be involved in. To make decisions no matter which way you go to the left or the right. God has given you that freedom and that ability to make free will choices with the life that you have been given. And the question always remains, doesn't it? How's that working out for you? Because from everyone looking on the outside in, kind of seeing it, it doesn't look like it's going too well, even though there are smiles, even though there are the sense of some pseudo-happiness, there's still that inner emptiness in your life, isn't there? I mean, how much money will it really take to give you the kind of peace and satisfaction and security that you're looking for? How much of that fame in your career and what level do you really need to attain to where you finally have that satisfaction in life? I mean, I was reminded of the scripture. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? That was Jesus teaching us. What profit is there? And chasing after, like Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes, trying to grasp the wind. Just grasping after the wind. And then come to the end of your life to find out that your life wasn't invested in the things of God. In just a few moments, you're going to have an opportunity to express the repentance of your sin toward a holy God. One that loves you and has revealed himself to you. One who is not only your creator, but by faith now can become the sustainer of your life. A power that's outside of your own. A power and a, a knowledge that's outside of your ability to think. By faith in Jesus Christ, your sins can be forgiven. But by faith in Jesus Christ, he can give new, new direction in your life. Because number seven, as we find here, is that Jesus is the redeemer of mankind. What does the Bible say? That when he had by himself purged our sins. That's an important phrase, by himself. It wasn't some religion. It wasn't some church. It wasn't some pastor. It wasn't some priest. It wasn't some pope that saved your life. Jesus Christ purged your sins. He is to be listened to and followed. He, he is to, to get our full attention. The idea of redeeming is to buy back, to purchase Redemption doesn't come some, through some great prophet or some great religion or some odd idea of who God is. Redemption comes through a person and his name is Jesus Christ. Only a perfect person could ever purify and cleanse men from their sins. 
And Jesus, he died as a perfect substitute for you and for me. I take such great joy in that phrase. I I make it personal when I read the Bible. And I I take great joy. As I was reviewing this again, getting ready for our study this this weekend, I was just so caught up by the work of God in my life that he by himself purged my sins. That gives great context to where we are in life. Because for 23 years, God allowed me to do whatever I wanted to do. And it didn't end very well for me. And, and, it, and when he interrupted my life and opened my eyes and brought the conviction of sin and drew me to the Father, when I was born again, he purged me from my sins. And I can't help but be thankful for that. Because apart from Jesus Christ, I'd still be under the weight of my sin. I'd have a lot more sin to deal with. I'd be facing a Christless eternity. I wouldn't have life. I'd still be dead in my trespasses and sins. And so, yeah, maybe I'm facing a difficulty today. Maybe there's a hardship in my life. But you know, I'd rather face the hardship alive in Christ than to have to face a hardship complicated by the weight of my own sin. God is proclaiming to you life today, inviting you into his life. He's not inviting you to become religious. He's not inviting you to a list of rules and regulations. He's inviting you to himself. And that's what he offers to us. He's the redeemer of mankind. When a man or a woman or a child believes in Jesus Christ, the righteousness, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ becomes his. His sins are literally removed. John the Baptist told us that when he saw Jesus coming in John chapter 1, what did he say? He he declared, behold the Lamb of God that who what? Takes away the sins of the world. That's a powerful statement because every religious Jew would understand and remember that how God dealt with sins in Judaism was that once a year day of atonement where the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies he and him alone, and he would take the blood and spread it on the mercy seat on behalf of the nation, and the sins of the nation would be covered to those that were in covenant relationship with God, but not taken away, and they would have to do that every single year. He'll elaborate that later in Hebrews. They would have to do it every year, but with Jesus now, Jesus is our mercy seat, and it's his blood offered by himself that takes away the sins of the world. You want to have your sins taken away, friend. You want to experience the forgiveness of God, both now and for all of eternity. Well, finally, the eighth thing that we learn today, by way of review, number one, Jesus is the supreme spokesman. Number two, Jesus is the appointed heir of all things. Number three, Jesus is the creator. Number four, he's the very glory of God. Number five, he's the exact representation of God. Number six, he's the sustainer of the universe. Seven, the redeemer of mankind. And number eight, he's the exalted Lord and mediator. Notice it says, when he had by himself purged our sins, the end of verse three, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. It is finished. Jesus is sitting down. He sat down. It's done. He's at the right hand, the place of authority, The place of respect. In Philippians chapter 2 verse 9 it says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, 
that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and those on earth, those under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And not only that, at the right hand of the Father, Jesus is making intercession for us. There is only one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. It's no person on earth is a mediator between you and God. Don't let anyone ever tell you that they are the ones that you must go through in order to get to God. Only Jesus is that doorway. He's only one mediator, and he's interceding for you and me. Intercession is another word for praying. He's praying on our behalf. In Romans chapter 8, verse 34, it says, Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God and makes intercession for us. Let me show you one more thing. We'll get there eventually, but for, for today, go over to Hebrews chapter 12 with me. Because the key, when you feel yourself wavering, and the key, when you feel yourself doubting, and the key, when you're, you're thinking that maybe Christianity, I, I talk to people all the time, they'll say, well, Christianity didn't work for me. No, then you didn't experience a true relationship with Jesus Christ, because Jesus is always making intercession for the saints. By faith in Jesus Christ, you don't work, he works, and his work is finished. And the key is to keep our eyes focused on him. God gave me an illustration even this morning. You know, dealing with jet lag, you're up all night. So I was up off and on all night, and I finally got up around 5 a.m., 4.30 or so, and, and just decided to stay up and, and spend some time, you know, getting ready for, or at least spending time to get ready for church. And, and I was immediately faced with this oppression which usually happens when I come back from a trip of any kind, just this oppression. And there's three or four different areas where the enemy loves to get into my head, and I just sat there on my couch in the dark, everyone else is asleep, and I began to focus on my circumstances in this situation. I began to think about it. I began to think about this situation. I began to think about that situation. I began to think about, and then, you know, when you start thinking about things, you got something else to think about. And I start, and I, I mean, it was, it was like, oh man, this is not good. And I got this small impression in all of that, sort of like the still small voice of God, saying, Ed, you need to start your day in the Word. And I'm like, of course. It's almost like I was thinking, what would you tell the church if they were going through that? What would you tell somebody in your office? So you've got to start with the Word. So I open up the Word, and I started off in my devotions. I'm actually in the book of Jonah, and just reading through the life of Jonah, how God was so gracious with him, how God was so loving toward him, how even that big fish was a gift from God, and how the wind was a gift from God, and how the, the, the shade over his head was a gift from God, how his voice was, and on and on, as I began to focus my day on the faithfulness of God, the oppression dissipated. It, it went away. Because we can't start the day focus on the circumstances. As a matter of fact, we can't really spend much, a big part of our day focusing on that. We, we need to commit our ways to the Lord and trust Him with our lives. Like, He is faithful. Even when you aren't the one that has so much faith and doubt starts to creep in and the oppression of the enemy or the craziness of your own mind, however it is the enemy attacks you, you need to start by looking to him because he's faithful. 
and he can deliver you much faster than you can deliver yourself. You know why? Because you'll never be able to deliver yourself. You're stuck in your own mind and your own wisdom, and we need a wisdom and power that's from on high. So check this out, Hebrews chapter 12. I can't wait till we get here. It's such a beautiful passage. It comes right after the chapter of faith, and here's what he says. Therefore, this is verse 1, we also, kind of connecting us with the men and women of faith, all the Bible stories, the true Bible stories of heroic deeds of faith, Paul is saying, we're just like them. So we also, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, we're to lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily traps us <clears throat> that we might run with endurance the race that's set before us. And just mark this. It's kind of a, pre, it's a pre-study to the one we'll do. Looking unto Jesus. Circle that word, looking, and right next to it, staring. It's the kind of word, it's the only time it's used in the New Testament, and it's the, the definition of this word is the idea of staring and not in any way taking your eyes off. You're just zoned in, looking unto Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, connecting us right back to verse 1, chapter 1, verse 4, verse 3, one of those verses. I'll get it right eventually. Jesus is God's final word to us, God in human flesh, greater than any voice came before him and any voice that will come after. And my hope and prayer is that we fall in love with Jesus as we study the book of Hebrews and that we're training and tuning our ears to hear him. You know, when we gather in a time like this or you tune into the radio, God is not training you to hear the voice of your pastor. God is training you to hear the voice of the Lord. And prayerfully, the pastor is exercising the gift of pastor-teacher, which makes this time right now a spiritual time, not just a practical time. I know we're here physically, but God is wanting to deal with you spiritually through the truths of his word and how they transform minds and transform lives. God has spoken in these last days by his son, clearly and plainly. And the understanding of God is now possible by looking to Jesus. He is both the author and finisher of everyone that has placed their faith in him. And it is unfortunate, even with the church through the years, that this message has been muddied and messed up. But we can come back to the simplicity of the gospel and live our life by relationship with him. Amen? Father, thank you for the strength to to live a life that pleases you, the wisdom, the understanding. I just thank God of how faithful you are, how good, how wonderful you are, that, Father, you would reveal yourself to us and make it clear. I think of the teaching, God, that you gave us. Uh, Jesus, you said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. There's just no other way. It's plain and simple that that you are the creator. You are the sustainer. And you are faithful. So would you do a work in our church family, God, of building up our faith, strengthening us for today, giving us hope for tomorrow, 
would you pour out a fresh anointing of your Holy Spirit? That God, we would know that even when the darkness comes and the oppression floods in, that a simple glance to you brings victory. That we're more than conquerors through Christ. Uh, and, and that's just such a beautiful truth that we're reminded of today, Father. We're more than conquerors. And I just pray that many would receive the message of the good news that their sins can be forgiven today. Whether they're joining us on the internet or on the radio or here in this room, that as the invitation goes forth, Lord, that you would draw people to yourself, <clears throat> that you would bring the conviction of sin, and that you would move people to exercise that free will offering of themselves to you. That they would come and bow themselves before you and receive the eternal salvation of their souls. And as we're praying, if that's you today, and you would just say, Ed, I need to get my life right with God. I want a relationship with him. I want to turn my life from the way it's going, and I want to dedicate my life to following God. Or in a real simple Bible way, I want to be saved. I want the forgiveness. I want to be able, you know, that verse we read, that he by himself purged our sins, can only be read by believers. If you're reading it and you're not connected to God, you're just reading it in a book. You can't say it for yourself. But if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you can say it because the Bible says you shall be saved. And so if you're here today and you would say, I need to be saved, I want to be saved, I'm going to invite you to make a public a public, you know, response to that by just simply, if that's you, just stand to your feet. I want to lead you in a prayer. So if you would, just stand up and say, yeah, that's me. That's my life. I, I want to, <clears throat> I want to have my sins forgiven. And I want that truth of the Bible to speak of my life. I, I need to have my life made right with God. God bless you over here. Who else would say that's me? I mean, that's the reality of why we gather together. God bless you. It's a great day for you. It's a glorious day and a grand day. God bless you over here in the middle. I mean, this is the real deal of God meeting you where you are, revealing his love to you, revealing, I mean, seriously, like when you're falling apart, who's going to hold you together? You can't call on God without relationship. I mean, you can, but like it's with relationship that comes all the benefits. And I would say, don't hesitate and don't delay. Today's the day of salvation. Today's the day that God has got your attention. Don't harden your heart again. Don't harden your heart again. It's only gonna get harder and harder, not softer. Hey, do me a favor, God bless you over here. The sister was here, could you stand up again? Okay, everybody open your eyes and look around you. If there's somebody standing, there's one over here. Uh, there's one back here. There's a gal right here and a guy over here. Can you guys just stand up or around him and lay hands on them? We're going to pray for them. And so don't be weirded out by this, guys. This is the family of God. I want you to feel and know that you're surrounded by people that love you. 
And so if you guys turn around, if you, everybody's eyes are open, the people that are closest to you kind of raise their hands toward them. So you're laying hands on them. So there's over here, there's over here, over here, just kind of lay, you're going to be a part of people's life today. You, you, this is what you pray for when you pray for people to get saved. And of course, there's people out on the radio and on the internet that, that are responding. There, there are those that are calling out to God, and we want to be a part of it. So just those of you that responded, pray this prayer to God from the heart sincere. You can repeat after me. <clears throat> Dear God, I admit that I've sinned against you. And I ask you to forgive me of all of my sins. Because I believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who lived for me, who died for me, and who rose again from the dead to purge me of my sins. And I ask you, God, to help me turn my life away from sin and to dedicate my life to following you. And Lord, I just pray, I feel a sense of heaviness in someone that's responding today where they just, there's a doubt that just creeped into their minds, like that they're so bad that God wouldn't forgive, you wouldn't forgive them, God. Would you just affirm your love to them right now? Would you just affirm the sense that it's not about our past, but it's about what Jesus has done for us? that he is superior and he is great and he is awesome. And so those that, that are turning you today, God, I pray you pour out your spirit upon them, that the seed would go down on good ground. And as a church family, we would rejoice in the great things you are doing in and through our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.